Mr. Linden, I have a story for you. Ooh, this is very exciting. I'm excited to hear your story, Ms. Rowledge. So last year, after winter break, um, so I teach U.S. history, obviously, you know this, and yes. every, uh, every week I have a very arbitrary uh, current events quiz where I ask three questions of my students uh, about current events from the last week. So last year, in January of 2020, mm -hmm. post-winter break, I had a quiz, and, uh, and after the quiz was over, I had several frustrated faces in the audience, um, and one student in particular... <laughs> She raised her hand. I said, you know, why are you guys so mad? And she raised her hand. And she's like, I just, I really don't understand, Ms. Rallage. There's this thing called the coronavirus that is happening in China right now. And it's a really big deal. And you didn't ask about it. And I was like, yes, students knew. I said, yes, I know about the coronavirus. But, you know, this is a U.S. history class. And I only ask current events questions that are relevant to U.S. history. <laughs> <laughs> foot in mouth <laughs> one so, year later uh, here we are <laughs> similar similar story on my end um uh before i had properly looked into uh the the coronavirus stuff a student asked me like how it was different um than like the flu at the beginning um and i said you know i haven't looked into it i don't know for sure so I'm not a biology teacher, please don't take me too seriously. But I did say, you know, I remember when they said avian flu and swine flu were gonna completely change everything and we were still in school during that, so we'll probably be fine. Um, yeah, so I was about as wrong as we could have been. So both of us were 0 for 2 on this podcast uh, in terms of predicting how this was gonna go. Um, but I don't think we are uh, alone in that. Uh, and I, I think both of our opinions changed after we got more information. Um, but, uh, yeah, January of, uh, of 2020 was an interesting time, wasn't it? It was, it was. And since it's been a year, um, we thought on this podcast, a year since, since our school went remote, um, our mm -hmm. school went remote on March 12th last year, and since uh, almost a year since the shelter in place orders in California, we thought it would be a great idea this week to discuss remote schooling, or uh, let's say disrupted schooling, the history of disrupted schooling. Yes, a history <laughs> of disrupted schooling and its remote uh, consequences. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Historically Speaking, where we talk about the history behind the stories in this week's news with me, Mr. Linden. And me, Ms. Ratledge. And this week, as we've been saying, it is all about disrupted schooling, school closures, and what we did about them in history. And we are not pretending to cover every time that schools were closed in history, um, because that would be... Um, I don't even know if that's possible to cover, <laughs> but uh, but we're just going to do sort of a scattershot of events that we were uh, thinking about this week and that we were noticing in the news um, about historical events when we had significant school closures. So, Ms. Ratledge, do you want to start us off with uh, a first one that, that caught your fancy this week that you, you dove into? Of all the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, school is supposed to be you know, quote unquote, the most normal or the most boring for, again, yeah. <laughs> many of the kids in, in, in our nation's schools, right? Um, and so when we have a crisis, it's actually one of the things that's, that frequently can be so disrupted. Um, 
So I actually, I'm going to put, kick this back to you because one of the earliest Please. ones we're going to talk about is, um, you know, what happens to school in wars? And we have some examples from World War One and World War Two. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, looking back at uh, some of the ways that they dealt with school closures in the past, I just got to say, like, we're kind of nailing it comparatively um, <laughs> because some of the things they came up with were uh, were pretty nuts. So um, why don't we do World War Two? Because I, I think that's the, a really great example. Um, when particularly in Britain, right, when uh, the Blitz was coming, the, the bombing of, of England and its major cities uh, by the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, um, there was a, a real sort of panic about what do we do with schools? Because we can't just have people walking around every day going to school and not worrying about the fact that bombs are being dropped. So Initially, there was a big effort to uh, just get the kids out of the cities, right? Because that's where the, the bombing targets were. So there were huge numbers of kids who were sent off to various different places in the countryside, uh, shipped out on trains, buses, whatever they had to get people out of the city. And in some cases, these kids, you know, lived outside of the country for a couple of, or outside the city, rather, for a couple of years. Maybe their parents were still in the city. and. Um, in some sort of small countryside town, and they would just hold smaller schools in places like that. But in other cases, the kids couldn't or wouldn't leave, or the families didn't want them to leave. Um, and so they had to uh, make do with whatever meager school uh, opportunities they had in the cities. I, I saw in one study that uh, due to extensive, you know, sort of bombing damage in the, the London neighborhood of West Ham. There were supposed to be 60 precinct schools. By the end of the bombings, uh, 16 of them were still running. Mm -hmm. um, so we're talking about very cramped classrooms or just kids not going at a certain point. Yeah, um, one of the things I find so fascinating about World War II is that, of course, it goes on for so long. So, you know, in 1939, they had this opinion of like we gotta shut down, we gotta we gotta evacuate kids, we gotta shut down, we have to change everything. And by the end, you see school happening in the tube, for example, like in the underground, yeah. you know, or school happening right outside of bombed buildings. I mean, the same way that in any situation, crisis just becomes normalized once it once it really goes on for long enough. Well, obviously, we've seen that with you know the coronavirus. Everybody just playing with a mask on, like that that idea that we would all have a mask on in everyday life all the time a year ago was just mind-blowing, right? Un unthinkable. Now it's like completely normal, of course, right? It's like those those pictures that you see of World War One with people walking around in gas masks and it, it looks like the apocalypse. <laughs> um, and uh, that's sort of, I mean, we're not wearing gas masks, but uh, we're not too far from that. Um, and I, yeah. I don't know, it's, it makes me feel a sense of kinship when I look back at those World War One photos and like, no, I didn't live through what you lived through, but like we got a little something in common, right? Uh yeah, or the, you know, the evacuation orders or the turning of your life kind of turning upside down. Or my favorite is uh, reading about how the kids would take the gas masks and pretend to play them as like horn um, horns, you know, like blowing and oh. their parents. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, yeah, very yep, cute. I can I can imagine. I um, well, one other you know another another time when school was really disrupted, of course, has been in previous pandemics or previous 
global pandemics and something that we talked about really briefly on this podcast before was the polio epidemics that um that the united yeah. states faced in the around the turn of the century so the first major one was in 1916 um when schools like new york city public schools shut down for multiple weeks um, in 1916, because what would happen is, is that the, as opposed to like with the coronavirus, the the virus has gotten worse in colder weather. Actually, with polio, they found that it got worse in warmer weather. So during the summer, um, they would have higher outbreaks in July and August. And in some of the earliest outbreaks of polio, the the uh, mortality rate was around 25 percent, um, and this was in children. So I mean. Talk about true terror about sending your kids to school or having them um, yeah. get involved with you know other kids. Um, so they shut down schools in in 1916, and they um, you know they had essentially no school at all in some places. Um, and then in other schools, they had I think in um, in New York they had school by the newspaper. So like the newspaper would put out <laughs> lessons on the front on the cover of the newspaper, and then kids would uh, kind of get their lessons from that. Because of course this was before the age of television, before the age of yeah. radio, you know, any of that type of stuff. I bet they would have killed for Sesame Street back then, right? Seriously, I, mean, I can only imagine. Poor. And there was a, there was like you know there were a ton of angry parents that said. Of course, they were supportive at first, but then, you know, after so long, there's there's just only so long they can keep their kids inside their apartments for, you know, days and days on end. And so what would happen, as this happened, of course, with corona, is parents would let their kids out, and they'd all play in the street and be less regimented or disciplined when they would play with each other in the street than if they had been in the school environment. Yeah, and in some cases, those parents, you know, themselves couldn't stay home, and so the kids got up to whatever the kids got up to. Mm -hmm. Um but, uh, you know, all sorts of resonance with today, right? Um, and, and, you know, 1916, 1917 is not very long before 1918, 1919, uh, when we have the Spanish flu epidemic, right? Which is yet another occasion, uh, much talked about in recent years, uh, in recent months, I should say. Uh, and uh, they similarly shut down the schools during that. And I read one article that... Some some cities try, stayed open and had to close eventually. Some of them just closed immediately. Some of them had a rule that if 20% of the kids became infected, then they had to shut down the school, which to me feels a little bit late. Um, but uh, they also had, uh, I saw in Los Angeles, they pioneered a, uh, a school by mail program, a correspondence school. Um, I couldn't get too much detail on how it worked or exactly <laughs> like writing where, letters uh, back and forth to your teacher, I guess. Yeah, you were you got like an assignment by mail and then you had to mail back your response and you know, it's like that really gives you the opportunity of like, I don't know, the postman ate my homework or something. It just seems like <laughs> yeah. there's just no way that you could effectively do that. But I do love that they were basically trying to do, you know, distance learning, but they didn't, the technology hadn't caught up to a point where it was really feasible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the closest thing that we have to kind of some distance learning is when they had the polio epidemics and the, again, post-radio, the, the invention of radio. Yeah. So, like, I think the first one was in 37, but then there was a series of other ones in the 40s and the 50s where various school districts, not no sort of national school district closure, mm -hmm. but various school districts would close. And they'd have um, they'd have school by radio and uh, 
in like 15 or 20 minute tranches. And there's several mm. famous um, political candidates who would, you know, who would actually kind of get their message out by being the teacher, quote unquote, on the radio. Um, I think there's a there's a famous recording of Hubert Humphrey doing that. Um, but you know, like today, it's also it's another it it's interesting because obviously not everybody had a radio, so it wasn't equal. You know, only those yeah. who had access to a radio um, could sit and listen to school, and those that didn't, you know, had to kind of fend for themselves. Again, resonance with today, right? I mean, access to technology, access to laptops. Wi-Fi that's going to be uh, consistent, all these things, you know, and whether, you know, I'm sure kids who like have a lot of books in their homes are faring better than those who, who really have to struggle to find those resources, right? So uh, the, the questions of, of equity that we're dealing with now are also very much not new, um, which I think sort of uh, transitions nicely into um, another another case uh, that I looked into a little bit of the uh, Ebola outbreaks in uh, Guinea and Sierra, Le- Sierra Leone um, in the 2000s, um, where for almost a year they had to shut down basically all the schools in those countries. Um, and one of the biggest findings that they found afterwards is that school closures, and I, I think this study was extended to a few other circumstances as well, especially in places where uh, uh, women getting married younger is a, a, a phenomenon, really disproportionately affected female students or, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, students who, who identified it as female anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they were much more likely to drop out than their than their male counterparts. Um, dropout ra- rates overall went down, uh, or sorry, went up rather. Very much not down. Uh, um, they went up, but especially for uh, for women during this uh, or girls during this uh, during this closure, there was a really adverse effect on their opportunities and and their later economic opportunities as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although, interestingly, those countries that have gone through, had, who have recently gone through an Ebola outbreak, and of course, you know, with having gone through SARS and MARS and the avian flu and much mm-hmm. of Asia, um, those countries have fared much better in terms of now, today, with coronavirus, in terms of um, dealing with the coronavirus, getting their population to wear a mask, you know, dealing with how to deal with school closures, things that, you know, the United States, aside from these little blips, Mm-hmm. with the polio epidemic and you know we really haven't dealt with in any sort of we certainly have never dealt with it on a massive national strategy national level i'm sorry uh, ever actually yeah absolutely i mean uh i don't think that a a teacher in sierra leone would have made the same mistake that we did at the beginning of the coronavirus right um and that's uh that's a, a signal of you know how the one of the privileges of growing up in the United States, and also the dangers of that, right? Mm-hmm. They're extraordinary naivete. Um, so, just sort of coming to the the end of our list of examples, I, I, I think we both were considering talking about uh, the school closures that happened as a result of desegregation, but that feels like it's sort of its own podcast <laughs> worth of information, or it's it deserves more attention than we can give it here. So I think we're not going to cover that right now, but uh, I assure you there's lots of very interesting things to, to look into. Ms. Ratledge is much more of an expert on this than I am, but uh, she was sharing a lot of cool resources with me. So if you're interested in that, you can reach out to us uh, mm-hmm. for sure about that. This is a time in American history where schools were 
voluntarily closed by the white population, um, the public schools um, and counties that did not want to integrate. And so those that were, you know, those that could not afford to go to a private school or have the resources to set up their own school were without school for a period of time. Yes. Um, With negative, negative consequences. There are lots Mm -hmm. of studies extolling how, how negative that was. I just also wanted to uh, give one little last, last thing just to come back to sort of where we started with the World War II stuff. Um, which is that at the end of the war, right, we talked about Britain at the beginning of the war, at the end of the war, um, Germany had a very similar issue um, in that they were being bombed very heavily, their infrastructure was falling apart. And actually, after the war, um, when Germany was being occupied by the various different allied powers, there was a pretty complicated process of trying to restart these schools. Um, because not only did they have a lot of the facilities uh, destroyed, but all the materials that they had to teach with, a lot of them were Nazi propaganda. <laughs> so they had to like fly in uh, new teaching materials to try to get these schools started. And uh, I read one account where they were saying they brought in, they were bringing in like wood stoves from people's houses to heat the rooms that they were using because the buildings were so destroyed. And they would basically come in and get assignments for 20 minutes like twice a week and then leave and then come back the next week. And that that lasted for years after the war, you know, up until almost into the 50s. That's that's how schooling was going in, in parts of Germany. So uh, I'm certain that there are parallels in other parts of the world uh, that have undergone similar kinds of conflicts. Um, but I, I think it's important to, to remember that this is also not something that fixes itself quickly. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, with the the pandemic stuff, it's like once the, the threat of the illness has subsided to a certain level, then you ease back in. But if you actually have the infrastructure the destroyed to make it possible, that's sort of a whole nother ball game. Um, right. Some of the ways that we, are, that we are distinctly not um, in a similar situation to what we were in in World War Two. I think the, yeah. the German press has done a particularly good job of demonstrating that in one of the more famous uh, commercials you've probably seen it uh, during covid where there's this german man talking about all the things that you need you need to do to be a basically a, a one a brave german you know in the face of the enemy and and in the covid uh iteration of it the ad they you know he basically is like you need to just relax stay at home don't talk to anybody, eat dinner by yourself, you know, like, yeah. don't, you don't need to do yeah. anything. In other words, yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. the exact opposite of what people were going through in other times of crisis. Um, this is like, just go watch a movie with your, you know, with your family members. Yeah. And don't go anywhere. And it's hard. Listen, it's hard, it's hard. over the it's course hard. of a year. It's really hard. Extraordinarily um, hard. Um, yeah, I mean, it's but been But thank hard. goodness no one's asking me to face, you know, mustard gas or something like that. That's true. So. That's true. <laughs> um, I, you know, one thing I would last, you know, to end on, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how... I, I was looking for examples from history where things definitively changed because of the this disrupted schooling. And, of course, in, you know, in the face of a natural disaster or the things like destruction of buildings, you, you know, you had a lot of, of rebuilding of schools. Um, for example, after Hurricane Katrina, the school, the public school system largely became a charter program. Um, there, ha- there have certainly been changes that have occurred. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. I do think that we are in a new experiment phase. In other words, because we have been at this for so long and because it has been something that nationally everyone has experienced, at least for a short bit. I mean, everyone was remote last spring. Um, there could be significant shifts in our education system because of this. Um, yeah. Just the inclusion of, you know, remote teaching. Uh, the laughable thing is everyone says there will be no more snow days ever, mm. um, which I would be very sad about. I would be very We live in California, so we don't have snow days. But um, in my, my former life, in my childhood life, I had a lot of snow days. So, um, But, you know, like, will there be more remote teaching? Or will we always have the incorporation of kids coming from, from home? Because there's all sorts of reasons why a student can't come to school for health reasons. It's not just because of COVID, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, hopefully, will, will we think about things about equity in a much more uh, appropriate and much more kind of enlightened lens? because of some of this i don't know it's an invitation to carrying to creativity right it is it is absolutely that being said i am very excited to get back in the classroom <laughs> and not yes be i'm excited to to see people face to face um but uh you know i think it's just appropriate to give a, a quick shout out to all the students and all the teachers out there who are listening who have been relearning their jobs both as teachers and as students during this uh this unprecedented time as no one has ever said uh no <laughs> and, and to all the administrators out there who have been trying to figure out which way to go i'm really glad i don't have to make those decisions that would be very very confusing so well thank you so much mr lennon this was great i can't wait to see yeah. you one of these days in person yeah um, it's always good to chat yeah. yeah always good to chat and we will be back next week with more uh fun stories based on the week's news all right bye bye